muscle of David when he was in the cave of prayer. I cry with my voice unto Jehovah, with my voice unto Je Jehovah do I make supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I show before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walk, have they hidden a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no man that knoweth me. Refuge hath failed me. No man careth for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Jehovah. I said, Thou art my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may give thanks unto thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou wilt deal bountifully with me. We ask for the Lord's blessing on the reading of this word, and we look forward to the message that Heron will bring us today. You know, whenever we drive from Freeport to Laconia, we always think about this church as being the most friendliest church ever. So we just want to let you know, you guys sing songs that really uplift and bring us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you walk in, you're always greeted by you know, individuals. Even Steve Barry comes over and says, where is that Harry guy, Harry's son called today? Yeah, that's right, that's right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Uh, we just got back from China just Thursday night about 11 o'clock, and I'm sure he was kind of frantically trying to figure out how he was going to get the bulletin information. And uh, so first thing in the morning, I, I did telephone Cliff. I want you to know, uh, when I got back, I said, oh, man, I, I got to make sure that the bulletin information is given. But uh, it seems to me he did not get it, or it was just too late anyway. Friday morning is kind of late, and, uh, but we want you to know we had all the intentions of making sure that we, we were here, and we are here. Um, it was a great trip, uh, you know, to go to China for the first time ever. If your son's a pilot, you got it made. <laughs> you only spent about 100 bucks or so to get all the way from here to there. And, uh, you know, that's not bad when you have a pilot uh, in your family. And uh, so it was, it was just great. Uh, we had about four other couples who joined us. And uh, there were some that you may know, Kim Johnson, who was a treasurer here. Uh, he and his wife. And a couple of friends that uh, we went to college with for the last 40 years. And uh, we got together, we had really a great time. China is a place, there was a really, a, you know, when, you, when you're there, you see all the people. You say to yourself, is it a modern city? Definitely it is. Shanghai, I've never seen anything like it. So I just want you to know, we think about China being backwards and all that, not really. It's uh, a very, very stable economy there, and uh, it's one of the richest country, uh, as far as we know. And uh, who knows? You know, they tell us anyway. Uh, 
together with that, as I looked at the hordes of people there, a lot of people there, you said to yourself, how is the message really going to be given to them? And that was one of the things that really kind of bothered me for a long time while I was there. We have a message to give, but how is that message being given? I realized we were talking about that. We were saying, you know, Thomas went all the way to India to give the message, the disciple Thomas. There's no indication of any disciple ever going to China for a message to be given there. Uh, the basic religion is Taoism and Buddhism, and uh, that is what's being, you know, projected there, of course, with communism. Uh, but uh, the influences of even Indian gods, when we visited the museum there, I was kind of surprised to see some of the Indian gods there in the museum. And uh, saying to myself, how is that possible that in the 15th, 16th century, the Indian influence was already there, but there's nothing about Christianity. And uh, that's the one thing that really we need to really think about and realize uh, the Lord somehow or other is going to make sure that the work is finished His way, not our way. His way, not our way. Together with that, let me just uh, give you a brief outline of what took place. We were here last year and uh, almost the same time in November, just before we went to India, we emphasized the, the emphasis on, on mission trip to India. We want you to know there were really a, it was a great experience. The seven of us who went there, uh, we had a tremendous time. There was about 70 plus baptisms, uh, schools being uh, helped, and and uh, you know, homes being built for the pastors or the Bible workers. I should say when I say a home, I'm talking about this size right here, divided in half. That's a home for a pastor, but for them, it's a mansion. You see. Uh, as I told you last year, the reason we try to build homes for these individuals is if you have a holy person in the village, the work grows. If you don't have a priest or a Bible worker in the village, the church sits empty. So we are making sure that homes are being built in the time that whenever we go there to India. Uh, so far from the Northern Union Conference alone, we have built about almost 30 homes. And uh, this year, we're going to be building three homes again uh, for the Bible workers. And, uh, you know, hey, we're trying to do our part. It's a small conference. It's not as big, rich. But anyway, we feel the work, the members are committed to mission. And that's the, the, the beauty of this conference, that we've been here working for the last 20-plus years and realizing that our people are really committed to making sure that this message of Jesus Christ goes to the world. And together with that, let me just say this. If uh, you are so inclined to uh, not come with us, pray for us, because we'll be leaving again in January 15th. There'll be about nine or ten of us leaving this time and uh, going to a different place, same state, but different location and uh, doing our part in making sure that the message of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. And together with that, uh, you know, the Lord has placed a burden on my heart to go to Africa this year, coming year. Uh, so if you don't want to go to India with us, hey, and, and, and say, Pastor Harry, we'd like to go to Africa with you. That is wide open right now. That's going to be in April, April 12th through the 26th. 
And uh, we would like to invite you to come along with us to do something. It's going to be a three-pronged thing, evangelism, construction, and simple work. And we're looking forward to that. We've got help, a group of individuals. When we get back from the mission, we pray, at the beginning we pray, saying, Lord, get a team of individuals together for the following year. And he does. And he does. You know, we don't know where the team is going to come from. But somehow or other, it does come together. And that's the joy of us praying about that and seeing certain things being fulfilled. Praise the Lord for that. Anything else I forget? Uh, I forgot, uh, Judy, uh, you know, that, that you want to talk about? Uh, um, just that we know a lot of people from Northern New England are sponsoring students, and we'll see them, uh, take their picture, and give them to you. We've got about 170 some now. And that, you know, from our small conference, that's a lot. And uh, so it's a, a great ministry. You know, a, a member from just a uh, close by church here wrote to us and saying, Pastor Harry, we would like to really, ex you know, kind of broaden our vision. Uh, we would like to really see what can be done. We'd like to raise about hundred dollars to $150,000 to build a school over there. And this is coming from a man who has a vision for kids and saying, let's see what can be done. And, uh, you know, when, when I saw that email that was sent to Judy, I said, man, here's a guy that basically believes in Christian education believes in the worthiness of having students come up in our schools, and and uh, you know, and so it's it's just amazing, amazing what the Lord is doing through the Northern Air Conference people, and uh, praise God for that. Amen. Let's pray, Lord. I thank you so much again for the opportunity that we have to uplift and thank you for the many blessings that come our way. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of preaching. And today, Lord, as we talk about what you're able to do for us, because you do the best works when we are in a cave. And so, Lord, today, I just want to pray in a special way that you'll take these lips of mine and as we open the Word of God today, may the Spirit influence our hearts. And as we leave this place, may we go with the assurance that indeed our God has been uplifted. For this is my prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. There is hope, then there is failure. Someone has said, he who has never failed somewhere, that man cannot be great. Failure is a test of greatness. Now you may say, man, that's kind of a, a broad statement that you're making, Harry. The important question I'd like to raise is this. Why is it that for some people failure is energizing while for others, failure is paralyzing. All of us have experienced failure, and no one likes it. Believe me, as a Northern New York Conference Youth Director for many years, I experienced failure after failure, but I realized again there were successes also. So again, you have failures, and then you have successes. Some push on, new learning, vigorous commitment. Others feel defeated, discouraged, loss of hope, and they said, what is the use? Time of a failure in the life of a person we're going to be looking into today is uh, the most adventurous man, as I read about him anyway. He was uh, loved. He was a strong individual. He was a kingly person. And uh, as I 
refer to him today, I'd like to say he was one of the individuals that really kind of brings to my mind what can be done when you are up and then you are down. His name, of course, was King David. There were many successes in his life. He was anointed king. He conquered Goliath. His army loved him. The, dance, uh, the damsel sang this song, Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. On his way to the palace, married Saul's daughter. Then everything was stripped from him. Lost his job. Lost his wife. Lost his best friend. Fled to Gath, hometown of Goliath, and acted as a madman. You know, few have had a varied career as such as, as this man. He was a shepherd, he was a poet, he was a champion, he was beloved, he was a monarch, he was a soldier, he was an outlaw, he was also persecuted. Goliath, he killed. And then he acted as a madman in his city. You know, David left Gath, and the Bible says he escaped and came to a cave called Adullam. Now, if you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn with me to the scripture passage and notice along with me as we read that text because it brings to our minds again what we go through in our own lives because all of us will have to go through it. All of us at the end times and even right now, we will go through an experience called a cave-like experience. Psalm 142 is called a Psalm of David when he was in the cave. Notice with me as I read from the New King James Version. It says, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. Can you imagine? Here is David trying to say, I'm going to complain before the Lord. You know, as I was going through the Sabbath school lesson, it was interesting. What was mentioned over here when you're talking about Job, it says right here, right here in this Sunday lesson here, why, Lord, did you bother to create me at all? Or why are you doing this to me? Or what, uh, would it not have been better that I had never been born than to have been created and face this? You know, when you think about that, you say to yourself, all of us come to the point when we try to complain and say, Lord, what is going on in this life of mine? Why is it that we go through that experience? Notice what it says again as I read on in verse 3. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path in the way in which I walk. They have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to the Lord, O Lord, I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought, brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. This is a psalm that was written by David when he was in a cave. You know the hardest thing, the hardest thing about being in the cave is that you begin to wonder whether God has lost track of you. Did he forget his promises? Does he remember where I am? Will I ever be anywhere but in the cave? Will I die right here? 
I, as I told you, folks, I'm going to be very honest. We've all gone through the experience of being in a cave-like experience. Some of us may be going through a financial cave. Some of you may be a family cave. Some of you may be a health cave. I remember the time when the heart situation happened a few years ago, almost 11, 12 years ago. It was interesting for me to lie down and look at the ceiling and ask the Lord, why me? Why me? I was healthy, Lord. I was preaching a word. I was doing all things that you want me to do. I've lost that contact as a result of that experience. It was very difficult for me to go back to the club because the guys made fun of me and said this, Harry, you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't carouse, you don't go out with women. Hey, maybe you should do all those things because, you know, you won't have the heart problem like, you know, you've had. Can you imagine? Can you imagine of being a witness right there? What do you say to a person that tells you those kind of things? I've lost contact. All of us. Yes. So it was difficult for me. I was lying there to experience the heart-like experience to say, why did I have a heart problem or heart disease? All of us have gone through a cave. Will I die right here? Other thing I need to tell you is this. The cave is where God does some of the best work in molding and shaping human lives. The cave is where you begin to realize God has brought you down over here, but he is going to shape and mold you to be a better person. Because a cave is where you meet God and allow him to do wondrous things in your lives. David knew about his failures. He spent 10 years of his life in the wilderness. Oh yes, he had a band of followers, but they were not a promising group. They were the bankrupt, the agitated, they were the whiners. They were holed up in a village called Ziglath. One day they came back, their village was raided, the children and wives carried off, they wept. His men's grief turned to anger, they wanted to stone him. Then comes one of the great statements in scripture by David when he says, But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This is a great secret of spiritual life, folks. When every other resource was gone, when every prop was kicked out from under him, and every crutch taken away, when he kind of realized what he had gone through, David encouraged himself in the Lord. Psalm 142 is a psalm for cave dwellers. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. Are you able to complain to the Lord? As I told you, as I read to you from even from this portly, are you able to say, Lord, why me? Are you able to say, why me, Lord? Are you able to complain? You know, there are different psalms in the Bible. There's a psalm of thanksgiving. There's a psalm of enthronement, of wisdom. But the most popular category is called the psalm of lament. The most frequent psalm consists of somebody complaining to God, and God allows it. He encourages it, as a matter of fact. He says, okay, for you to talk to me that way. It's all right, because I realize what you're going through in this life. Failure 
in our day often carries with it shame. The shame not just of having experienced failure, but being a failure. That's the hardest thing, isn't it? Failure can also be a tremendous motivator. Did you know that five of the best-selling books of the 20th century were each rejected by more than a dozen publishers before being accepted? Richard Hooker's MASH rejected 21 times. Thor Hardall's Contiki, 20 times. Jonathan Livingston Seagull by Richard Bark, 18 times. Patrick Dennis's Auntie Mame, 17 times. And Dr. Seuss's first book, and to think that I saw it on the Mulberry Street, 23 times. In the movie, Chariots of Fire. I'm not sure whether you've seen that movie or not. There's the English runner Harold Abrahams runs against the Scottish champion Eric Little and loses for the first time in his life. The pain of failure is so great he decides he cannot race again. His girlfriend Sybil says, Harold, this is absolutely ridiculous. It is a race you lost, not a relative. Nobody's dead. And Harold moans, I've lost. I know, I was there. I remember watching you. It was marvelous. You were marvelous. He was more marvelous, that's all. <laughs> In that day, the best man won. He was ahead. There was nothing you could have done. He won fair and square. Well, that's that, Abraham says. If you can't take a beating, perhaps it's for the best. I don't run to take beatings. I run to win a race. Harold shouts back. If I can't win, I won't run. And then Sybil pauses for a moment and then says to him firmly, if you don't run, you can't win. To run the best race, you can. To give it everything that is in you and win, that is glorious. To run the race, to give your heart and lose, that's painful, but it's not failure. Failure is refusing to run the race at all. Failure is refusing to say, this is it, I'm done, I'm giving up. And I hope and pray that you as individuals will come to the place where you will not say to yourself, I'm done with Adventism, I'm done with Christianity, I'm done with the Laconia Church, I'm done with having to be a Christian. I hope and pray that you don't go to that point of that kind of experience. You may try to explain, or you may complain, but don't come to the point where you're saying, this is it. I'm giving it all. As I've said, the cave is the place where we can learn from failure and follow God's plans. You remember Saul was in the cave. It must have been so tempting for David to think, I could get out of the cave now, no more hiding, no more failure. I would be king. All I have to do is kill this guy and I would be king. He would not do it. In the cave, David discovered that more than he wanted to be king, he wanted to belong to God. He would rather please God and live in a cave than displease God and sit on the throne. It was, it was one of those individuals that he has gone through and saying, I'd rather be right with God than to have that experience of losing it all as a result of killing this man because God is telling me not to harm the anointed person. 
Dan Mazur considered himself lucky. Most other people would have considered him crazy. He stood within two hours hike of the summit from Mount Everest, a thousand feet from realizing a lifelong dream that he had. Just, just a short experience of knowing it's just two hours away and I'm going to reach the peak. Every year the fittest adventurers on earth set their sights on the 29,000 foot peak. And every year some die in an effort. The top of the Everest is known for its uh, hospitality. Uh, climbers call the realm about 26,000 feet the death zone. Temperatures hover below zero. Sudden blizzards stir blinding snow, we're told. The atmosphere is oxygen starved. There are dead people on the mountaintop. A British climber had died 10 days prior to Mazur's attempt, we're told. 40 climbers who could have helped George chose not to do so, they just passed him by. Instead of helping him out, they just passed him by on the way to the summit. Everest can be cruel. Still, Mazur felt lucky. He and his two colleagues were within eyesight of the top. Years of planning, six weeks of climbing, and now at 7.30 a.m., May 25th, 2006, the air was still, morning sun brilliant, energy and hopes were high. That's when a flash of color caught Mazur's eye. A bit of yellow fabric on the ridge top. He first thought it was a tent. He soon saw it was a person, a man perched on the 8,000-foot razor-edge rock. His gloves were off, his jacket unzipped, his hands exposed, bare chest. You know, oxygen deprivation can cause that kind of a thing. Mazur knew that this man had no idea where he was. He walked toward him and called out. Can you tell me your name? Yes, the man answered, and he was kind of surprised. My name is Lincoln Hall. Missouri was shocked. He recognized the name. Twelve, year, uh, Twelve hours earlier, he'd heard the news on the radio. Lincoln Hall is dead on the mountain. His team has left his body on the slope. And yet, after spending the night in 20 below chill and oxygen stingy air, Lincoln Hall was still alive. Mazur was face to face with a miracle. He was also face to face with a choice. A rescue attempt had profound risk, you see. The descent was already treacherous, even more so with a dead body in our dead weight hanging on to you. Besides, how long? would Hall survive? No one knew. Three climbers might sacrifice their Everest for not. They had to choose. Abandon the dream or abandon Lincoln Hall. I'm glad the story goes this way. They abandoned their dream. The three turned their backs on the peak and pushed their way down the mountain. They set aside their dreams. 
to rescue an individual. Turn on the mountain and said, we are going to make sure that this man survives. television reporter asked Paul's wife what she thought of the rescue. And after several moments, tear-filled eyes, she said, there's one amazing individual and the other man with him. The world needs more people like him. He could have said, I'm going to be a failure in not climbing that peak right there, just two hours away. But he abandoned his dream to rescue an individual. Yes. You know the rest of the story as far as David is concerned. He was on the way through the, th the throne. As David, so was the son of David, Jesus Christ himself. Lost his position, his status as a teacher, his safety and security. He lost not only his best friend, but all his friends. His life, too, was endangered, but his failure got worse, we're told. He went to the cross and died. All his dreams and all the dreams he inspired appeared to die with him. What started as a shining success ended up in an ignoble failure. And then, and then the Bible says, they put the body in the cave. That was their big mistake, you see. The body was there for three days, but they could not keep him there. They forgot that God does some of his best works in the cave. God resurrects things in the cave, and the cave was where Jesus Christ was resurrected after three days, and they forgot about that. They didn't realize. They thought everything had been lost on the cross. The Pharisees went away jubilant, thinking they had won. But they came back to realize, no, they had not. Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Hey, I don't know what cave you're going through right now. As I told you, you and I will log some time, even right now, even today. Some of us may be going through difficult times with our families. There may be individuals right now going through and saying, how can I really afford to do certain things in my life? I don't have the financial resources. Some of you may be going through a divorce. How am I going to survive by myself? You ask. All I can tell you is, God does his best works when you are in the cave. Sooner or later, we will log some time there but when your time comes, just remember one thing. God does his best work in the cave. Again, let me close with another story right here. It's a great story about an individual runner. Vandalia Lima, he's called. He's just a whisper of a guy, we're told, at five feet inches. He stands uh, shorter than fifth graders at 119 pounds. He should be eligible for some of the airline discounts that we got on the, you know, airline. But don't let the uh, size of this Brazilian fool you. The body may be small, but the heart is bigger than the Olympic stadiums in Athens. That's where he received the 2004 bronze medal for the marathon. He should have won the gold. You probably saw it on television. 
He was leading the race with only three miles to go when a spectator accosted him, dragged, he was a, a kind of a deranged individual from Ireland. Uh, somehow or other, he just hurled himself to the runner, forcing him off the, the course and into the crowd. Although stunned and shaken, De Lima collected himself and resumed the race. In the process, he lost his rhythm, precious seconds, and also his position. But he never lost his joy. This small-bodied, big-hearted Brazilian entered the old marble stadium with the thrill of a child. He punched the air with his fists, then ran with both arms extended like a human airplane, looking for a place to land, weaving for joy. Later, he was crowned with an olive wreath, and in his festive way, he said, it is a festive moment, it is a unique moment, most athletes never have this moment. When he was asked about what happened over there on the road, this little man said, the Olympic spirit prevailed again. I was able to medal for myself and for my country. I'm able to medal for myself and for my country. Hey, folks, I know for sure that you're going to find some discontent individuals along the way. I know for sure there will be bumps on the road. But realize, realize the race that you're fighting, or the race that you're fighting to win is the crown that is awaiting you and I. The crown that Jesus Christ says will give to anyone who reaches that finish line. With Paul, I like to say, I like to finish that race. There may be bumps on the road, but realize that God is able to do marvelous things along the way to make sure that you succeed in life. May God help each one of us to reach the end of the line and hold up the crown. And when we are together, man, I just want to make sure that when we are together with the Lord Jesus Christ, we are going to lay the crown that he's going to place on our heads. But we're going to say, Lord, this is not for us. This is for you. We're going to lay the crowns at his feet and rejoice and say, holy, holy, holy is our God. May that be the privilege and the prayer of each one is my prayer today as we pray. Lord, I thank you so much again that you're able to take these human individuals like ourselves, we may go through rough times in our lives, Lord, and we will go through rough times. But help us to realize that you do the best works when we are down and out. Help us to rely on you, to look to you, and to trust you as we make sure that we go through the finish line. For this is my prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our closing song is going to be something different. Now, you know, I, I thought about this church, and I said to myself, hey, I know Steve and John and Son, you know, they, these guys play the, the guitars, and, and uh, I usually don't do this kind of a thing. Uh, the, you know, the one time we, we, Judy and I kind of sang in one of the churches, um, I kind of made a boo-boo. It started off in the wrong key, and you can imagine what happens when you start off in the wrong key, Right? So we're going to try to sing a song together as a closing song. Uh, it's called Great is Our God. And if you could just bear with me.
this is all the complaints I'm going to have with the Lord. Lord, how come you didn't give me a good sounding voice like Steve, you know, or John, you know. <laughs> so so if you guys want to join me? Hey, you're welcome to do so. Uh, we, Judy, come on up here and, and we will try to sing this song together. Uh, hopefully we'll, I know, I know, Steve, you know, you're going to. We're going to sing a song together, uh, first of all, and then we're going to teach him a song. The splendor of the King, robed in
just stand up and sing with me just the chorus, okay? Since you don't know the song, just our grace our God. Okay, let's get to step with that. Our grace, our grace. God that we have. And as we leave this place, Lord, may you be uplifted and glorified is my prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.